Well, good morning, everybody. So good to worship with you. And I was just thinking as we heard that uh, scripture reading that, you know, some of you might be, have children that will be having babies soon, or maybe you have some grandchildren having babies soon. And, you know, if you'd refer them to that text for maybe some possible baby names, that would be, you know, maybe a good place to turn, be original. <laughs> No, but so good to see you uh, today. Uh, many of you were at our vision event last week after our 1030 service, and it was a wonderful time together as we talked about where God is leading us as a church, and there was just this great feeling of excitement and unity, and I know some of you, though, weren't able to be there, so we just want to make you aware that there is a video of the entire presentation, and it's on our website, and it's a fairly easy uh, address calvary.org slash all in and we'd encourage you to go check that out if you weren't there um, because God is doing some amazing things as we move forward in mission together now this morning what I want to do as we start is to read a fairly lengthy parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. Now, I'm going to be reading this from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, so you might have a different one, but it all gets across the same point. Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. And what Jesus is doing is trying to help us understand, try to feel what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus tells stories better than anyone in all of history. And so here is one that you've probably come across before, but I think today God is going to show us some important things about our own lives from this story. So Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, 
Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now to a first century audience, this would have been a surprising and a compelling story. And it still is today, even 2,000 years later. But to this first century audience, it would have spoke directly to their experience. Now we encounter this word talent. And of course we have our own definition, which actually comes directly from this story. But to a first century audience, a talent was a sum of money. And it wasn't an insignificant sum of money, not just a couple bucks. A talent was equal to a day laborer's wages over 15 years. This was a sizable, valuable amount of money that was entrusted to these people. Now, as I said, today we've taken this word talent and we've taken the moral of this story and we've crafted a definition for what we call a talent. Our talents are our gifts and our abilities that we are given by God. So what Jesus is doing is he is helping us understand how important it is to think through how we use what God has entrusted to us. Each of the servants is given talents according to their ability by the master. But they don't follow a similar path. And it's a lesson for us today. The first two servants, they do awesome. They take what they are given and they use it to their fullest ability. And they come back with this investment that they've made. And both of the first two servants receive the same incredible word from their master. The master says to them, well done good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, actually a lot, but this amount that the master has given, he says, I will now set you over much. I'm going to give you more responsibility because of the faith that you have. And then the promise, he says, enter into the joy of your master. I mean, as a servant, can you imagine hearing much better words than that? So inspiring, so rewarding. But as I said, that was just the first two servants. We've got the third servant. He has a completely different experience. 
And really, I think we can sum up the story of the third servant with one phrase. He lost everything by doing nothing. The third servant lost everything by doing nothing and sitting back and not stepping out in faith. When the master returns and he's taking an accounting of everything, all this man has is excuses and regrets. And the master responds with very little enthusiasm. And he takes away this man's one talent. And not only that, he calls him lazy and wicked. And he has him thrown out of his presence. And it's a dark, disappointing end of the story. It's a warning to all who read it. And in some ways, it's, it's hard to wrap our mind around. And so I, need to, I think we need to think about what is going on in this third servant's life. What caused him to respond in such a different way than the first two servants? Well, I think the first reason that this man responded like he did The reason that he went and he buried his talent is that he felt inferior and inadequate. I mean, he couldn't help but notice that these other men had been given so much more than him. His share was smaller in comparison to these others, and it made him self-conscious, and it made him insecure. I mean, he looks over and he sees a five-talent man, and he sees a two-talent man, and all that he is is a one-talent man. And the thing is, when a five-talent man comes and a two-talent man comes, and you're only a one-talent man, suddenly you start to second-guess yourself. Suddenly you're self-conscious. So you start to wonder, what is going on? Why would the master give them so much more? What does this say about me? And we all know how easy it is to start to feel left out, to start to feel inadequate, and even start to feel completely worthless. Now, if you've ever had any of those feelings creep in throughout your life, you know they're quickly followed by jealousy, and then anger, and even bitterness. Now, this happens for a variety of reasons. But I think, at least for me, it often comes when things go really well for someone else. You know, someone else is more popular, more gifted, more successful. And it's in times like that, in times of weakness, that I can start to feel like, well, I'm just a one-talent person compared to that person. You start to feel like, well, you know what, there's not really anything that special about me. My gifts and talents are nothing compared to them. You know, maybe I'll just bury them away. Maybe I'll just go and live a passive life. Have you ever felt that way before? You compare yourself to someone else, and it causes you to sit back and to coast. Now, it's so easy for us, I think, as human beings to continually be looking at what we don't have instead of celebrating what we do have. You see, this servant had one talent. It's this incredibly valuable thing, but all he could do is look at others and say, but I don't have what they have. Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe at work, at school, 
maybe in your neighborhood, where you focus so much more on what others have instead of what you have, what you've been given. It's easy to wish we were someone else, that we have what other people have. And the thing is, this happens in every walk of life, in every social class, in every background. It's something that CEOs struggle with. It's something that celebrities struggle with. It's something that accountants struggle with. It's something that preachers struggle with. I mean, compared to other people, it's easy to feel like you're just a one-talent person. So this man felt inferior. He felt inadequate. But also, he was afraid. He had all of these thoughts going through his head. What if I'm not good enough? What if I completely blow it? What if I become known as a failure? I only have one talent, and if I lose it, what is everybody going to think about me? I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be a lesson to others. If I just show up with nothing or a portion of what I'm giving. And so he's lacking in confidence in himself. He's lacking in any conception of what he's capable of. And instead, he has this deep-seated fear of failure. Can you relate to him? Now, as we know, everyone experiences failure. Failure is a universal experience. Now, we know that in our head, but oftentimes what we tend to do is operate out of a fear of failure. No one wants to be known as a failure. And it causes way too many people to take their talents and what God has blessed them with and to just bury them away. To not use them to the fullest extent. Thomas Edison once said, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Think for a moment how in Major League Baseball, if you come up to the plate 1,000 times and you get out 700 of those 1,000 times, you are a superstar. If you've been watching the basketball tournament, if you miss more than 50% of your shots, if you're kind of right on that line, you are at the top of your game. If you're barely making 50% of your shots. Return to the Bible. Jacob was a liar and a thief, and yet God blessed him through his children. Moses was a stutterer, and he was a murderer. And yet he led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. David, he committed adultery and murder. And he is described numerous times as a man after God's own heart. Peter, one of the disciples, he denied Jesus three times in one night. And yet he became a pillar of the church. All of these guys could be considered failures. And yet God still used them, and they experienced success because of God's power and grace. Now, despite that, this third servant in our parable was unable to overcome his fear of failure. Now, another reason that he experienced uh, failure and fear 
is because he didn't have a real relationship with his master. In the text, he describes the master as a harsh or a hard man. He's nervous about how he's going to respond. He does not experience grace or forgiveness or mercy through his master. Now, as we know, Jesus is telling this story to describe God and his outlook towards us. And we know that God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness. And so this tells us that this man doesn't have a true relationship with his master. He's simply operating out of fear. And he doesn't take a leap of faith. Now, as I've read through this passage a number of times this week, I have a couple questions that keep popping up into my head. Maybe there's some questions you have. First question I have is, what if the five-talent guy or the two-talent guy had also buried their gifts? Well, what would have happened then? Well, what this parable teaches us, I think, is that every one of us will be held accountable in the exact same way. If they had buried their gifts and only brought back what they had initially been given, they would have been treated the exact same way as the third servant. Well, how about if the one-talent guy had actually invested his gift and had brought back two instead? Well, again, we see consistency in how the master responds If he had brought two back, he would have been blessed in the same way as the other two. He would have also been considered a good and faithful servant, even though it was still a smaller amount than the other two. But what if the one talent guy had stepped out in faith, he had boldly acted and then actually lost it all? What would have happened then? Well, this is a situation not addressed directly in our parable. But I think we do know the answer because we know God's character and really this story is all about him. We do serve a master who is good, who's graceful, who's merciful, who goes the extra mile for us. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be successful. Did you know that? There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be successful. No, that's not what we're commanded to do. We are commanded to be faithful. We are to be faithful. The success is up to God. God brings the growth. God brings the increase. Our job is to simply be faithful to what he's calling us to do. And so Jesus' parable should challenge us today to use our talents and our abilities to the glory of God, to not hide them away, but instead to make use of what he's entrusted to us. Church, don't bury your talents. Don't bury your abilities. God has graciously given them to you to be used for his glory. Now the truth is, every single one of us here was born with God-given abilities and talents. Every single one of us at birth had things that we were good at. Now, as a child, maybe you identified some of these early. You were especially good at music. You were an artist. You were good at math. 
You were good at organizing things. Maybe you can think of one or two of those things that you were especially good at. It just came natural to you. It was just easy for you. All of these things come from God. The Bible says God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. Now, we need to remember this when we're tempted to say, well, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not that special. You know, it's our Midwestern Scandinavian background that sometimes gives us this false sense of humility. No, we need to confidently own that God in his grace and his love has given us, entrusted to us, natural talents and abilities to be used for him. God is telling you today, you are unique and you are important. I've given you these great talents and abilities to be used for me. Put your shovel down. Stop trying to bury them. They're meant to be used. You see, every talent and ability can be used for God's glory and to serve other people. Paul tells us, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Have you ever considered that even in the most menial tasks that you do, in any part of your job, whatever you spend your time on, you can do that to the glory of God. It was one of the great contributions of Martin Luther in the 15th century. He talked about how every part of life can be an offering to God. He said, if you are a ditch digger, you can dig ditches to the glory of God. So whether you're sitting at your computer, whether you have a big canvas that you're painting, whether you're putting together plans, whatever you're doing, God gave us the ability. He's entrusted it to our care and we can do it to his glory. Now, the Bible is full of people using natural abilities and talents to God's glory. And there is a huge list that we could make of all the interesting things people do. There are people who are great artists. There are great architects. There are bakers. There are shipbuilders. There are masons. There's musicians. There are painters. There are farmers. There are carpenters, sailors. There are even candy makers. You can look it up. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. But not only that, Paul says there are different abilities to perform service, but the same God gives ability to serve others in particular ways. You are meant to use your talents and your abilities to serve in Jesus' name. There's a place in the church where you can use your gifts and your abilities to help further the mission, where you can use what God has entrusted to you to build up the body of Christ. Now, I think it's important that we talk about how can we best make the most of the abilities that God has given to us. Again, he's entrusted them to us. What are we going to do with them? So here are four things. Number one, take the time to inventory your abilities. Again, there might be a few that you've always known. People have spoken it into you. You know, you're a great musician. You're really good at math. 
you can draw, you can play an instrument. But beyond that, what are the other abilities that God has given to you? There's some researchers that have said each one of us has upwards of 500 natural abilities that we're blessed with from birth. Have you ever stopped to think about what are the other abilities and talents God has given you? Now, oftentimes it's hard to see them in ourselves. So have you ever asked somebody else, what do you see in me? How do you see me being effective in serving others, in glorifying God? Maybe it takes some experimenting, trying a new class, trying a new skill. Take some time to write down as many abilities as you can. Because the first step is to make sure that you have an inventory. Then number two, dedicate your abilities. When you know you have an ability, dedicate it to the Lord. I mean, I think we all know we can use our talents, we can use our abilities for good or for evil. You know, for instance, maybe you have the ability to make money. Well, you could use that ability for your own selfish game and, and just try to accumulate as much as possible. Or you could use that ability to make an impact for others, to be generous and to invest in others. Maybe you have the ability to organize things well. Well, you could organize crime, or you could organize a rescue. The choice is yours. Now, you might have the ability to influence people. Well, we all know that people can be influenced for good or for evil. God gave you your abilities. Now dedicate them for his plans and his purposes Paul talks about this in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, offer your bodies, which just means all of who you are. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, Jesus brought the new covenant. You don't need to go sacrifice an animal in a temple no, instead, every one of us is called to be the temple of God. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. And it means all of what we do is a living sacrifice for God. And he says it's true and proper worship. Now, think about this. Worship is not just one hour on Sunday morning or on Thursday evening or on Wednesday. Worship is meant to be a lifestyle. Worship is everything you do to the glory of God. What if you would dedicate Monday through Saturday to God as an act of worship? What if you went to a meeting? What if you sat at your computer? What if you sat at the piano? What if you sat at the canvas and you said, I am worshiping God through what I'm doing in using what he's entrusted to me? What if the people that you encounter this week out at coffee, just randomly in the street, wherever you go. What if those encounters with other people were an act of worship? How would it change your thinking? How would it change your attitude? How would it change your demeanor? Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Number three, sharpen your abilities. 
natural abilities and talents get better with practice. I mean, whether it's music or athletics or art or building or carpentry or the list goes on, our abilities and our talents can be developed through training and practice. Now, let me ask you, would you rather have a doctor who's committed to sharpening his skills or one who says, I've got it all together, I'm just going to coast out the rest of my career? I mean, the answer is easy, right? We're called to sharpen our abilities. Since it's March Madness, I thought I'd share this story. When Michigan played Wisconsin in basketball in 1989, Michigan had a player named Ramil Robinson. He stepped to the foul line for two shots at the very end of the fourth quarter. His team trailed by one point. So Ramil could regain the lead for Michigan or he could at least tie the game. But you know what happened, right? He missed both shots, allowing Wisconsin to upset a highly ranked Michigan team. Well, for the rest of the season, Ramil stayed after every single practice and he shot a minimum of 100 free throws. He practiced and he practiced and he practiced. So fast forward then to the national championship game at the end of the season. Three seconds left in overtime. And once again, Ramil is at the free throw line. He stepped up to the line to shoot two free throws. First one, swish. Second one, swish. Those shots won Michigan a national championship. So what made the difference? Was it his natural ability? Well, yes, he was a very talented basketball player. But what made the extra difference is he was willing to sharpen his skills through practice. Second Chronicles 25 has this interesting verse, but I think there's something important in it. It says, along with their relatives, all of them trained and skilled in music for the Lord. They numbered 288. The reason I put that verse up there is it was important to break out two words. They were skilled and they were trained. It's one thing to be skilled. It's another to commit to training. I would say we have a very skilled choir, but they also spend a lot of time training. What are your abilities? What are the skills you have? How are you training? How are you practicing? It's important. Just ask Ramil. Fourth and finally, use your abilities. Use them. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love this passage. It tells us that God's grace and gifts come in various forms. We have natural abilities. We have spiritual gifts that come when we put our faith in Christ. We have unique personalities, and God uses these things all together so we can serve others. Whatever God has given you, use it. 
manage what he's given you faithfully, ultimately our entire life, every one of our abilities, all of our gifts belong to him. We just manage them for him. Someone once said, your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to him. So take what God has given you and use it faithfully. Be a trustworthy manager of God's gifts. You see, Jesus taught us in today's parable, God expects us to use our gifts. Maybe it means taking a risk. Maybe it means taking a step of faith. Maybe it means putting your shovel away. Don't bury your talents any longer. And finally, I want you to imagine a scene. Imagine a scene someday in the future. And you're face to face with your loving master, Jesus. And Jesus looks you in the eye. And what he says to you is well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your master. Can you imagine anything better than that? Use your abilities to the glory of God and to serve others in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me?